You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science This episode is brought to you by Yes Apples, purveyors of delicious family-grown New York apples. Yes Apples is committed to their growers, our communities, and the planet. You can find their juicy, crunchy apples at your favorite local retailer. But if you head to yesapples.shop and enter code UNBIASED10 at checkout, you'll save $10 off of your first order. That's UNBIASED and the number 10 at checkout to save $10 off of your first order. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week's episode is very timely. It's been inspired by the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday here in the States. We are going to tackle tryptophan. And Andrea, I'm looking forward to your giving us a bit of a, a microbio primer on, on what tryptophan is. And so we'll, we'll chat about that and some claims made about tryptophan that I'm sure many of us have heard. Uh, but before that... Just a reminder that if you haven't tuned into last week's episode, we highly recommend that you do because we tackled the flu. And even though this is a topic that we've tackled before, given data out of the Southern Hemisphere and early flu data from the U.S., this season is a doozy. And we cannot recommend enough that you get your flu shot if you have not already. Uh, Definitely go check out that episode. We debunk some common myths about the flu and flu vaccine. And if you're looking for your vaccine, check out vaccines.gov to find a vaccine near you. All right. So Thanksgiving is approaching. Um, Andrea, what is or what are your favorite Thanksgiving (laughs) foods? I want to hear this. Oh, my gosh. Um, Everything. No, I mean... (laughs) So I only like dark meat. I Same. know it is very controversial and divisive, but I only like dark meat and I love crispy turkey skin. I just can't get enough of it. I usually crave the savory stuff on Thanksgiving, like dessert. I can kind of take or leave, but like mashed potatoes and stuffing and, you know, Great. I mean, all of it, all of it. I can't, I can't pick a favorite. You know, it's interesting. I'm with you. I only like dark meat and it is so controversial. I feel like the white meat is so dry. I, I don't agree. understand. And it's flavorless. I know. Yes, I know. flavorless. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so I'm obsessed with cranberry sauce. I love getting the perfect bite where you get a little bit of mashed potatoes, a little bit of the cran, some turkey, maybe a little stuffing. It's like the combination yes. of flour flavors is amazing. P.S. You know I love talking about the stuff that I buy at Trader Joe's. They have these (laughs) potato... I don't know if you made that run yet to Trader Joe's, but if you didn't, add these potato chips that are flavored like um, Thanksgiving stuffing. Yeah, they're salty, well-seasoned, just delicious. And, you know, we are both typically dessert fans, but I'm not big on pumpkin pie. I mean, it's good. I'll I'll eat it, but... (laughs) But I don't know. I prefer an apple pie, an apple tart. I like non-traditional Thanksgiving desserts. Like, I mean, I'll eat anything for dessert, but but I'm definitely like 
Pumpkin pie, I can kind of take or leave. Apple pie with ice cream, I'm all about that. Oh, pie a la mode. That Mm. is a classic. I'm with you. All right. Well, let's get into this week's episode. So we're going to tackle tryptophan. And the number one thing that is associated with tryptophan is sleepiness after Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm sure you've heard that, you know, after you eat the turkey, because it has tryptophan, we all end up on the couch, basically, you know, asleep or half asleep. So let's, let's, let's dish, uh, pun intended, what's real and what's not. Andrea, let's drop some microbiome knowledge. All right. So let's kind of start with talking about amino acids. So tryptophan is an amino acid. Amino acids are organic molecules. Now, organic here relates to in the context of chemistry. So organic molecules typically contain carbon, whereas inorganic molecules do not. It has nothing to do with the organic product industry, which relates to whether or not things have used organic pesticides or synthetic pesticides. So maybe a discussion for another day. But anyway, amino acids are organic molecules that contain an amino group and a carboxylic acid group. So if you merge those together, you get an amino acid. And that's why they're called that. So there are... We, we say between 20 and 22 amino acids that are used in the human body to make proteins, and I won't list them all off, but we'll post the list on the show notes. There's a little bit of discussion about, you know, essential versus non-essential, um, but there are nine amino acids that are typically considered essential, and by essential, it means that our bodies can't synthesize them from raw materials. And so these include, uh, and I will list these, lysine, leucine, histidine, methionine, isoleucine, threonine, valine, phenylalanine, and tryptophan. So those nine are ones that we have to ingest in some way because we can't make them in our bodies from byproducts or other metabolites. So amino acids are what we call the building blocks of proteins. So proteins are really the code or the essential building blocks of life. So if you've ever heard us talk about the central dogma of molecular biology, so this basically means that our DNA, our genes, our genome, which is contained in the nucleus of all of our cells, is converted or transcribed into RNA, and in this case, messenger RNA. So this is the copy notes of the encyclopedia that is DNA. And RNA is used as a message to lead to the production of a protein. And so that's kind of the central dogma. So DNA to RNA to protein. And that's really how life is created in in a very simplistic nutshell. But how is this actually done? So DNA is this double helix strand of molecules that is encoded by four main what we call nitrogenous bases. So these are the building blocks of DNA. And we use the abbreviations or the first letter of these molecules. So we have adenine, which is A, cytosine, which is C, guanine, which is G, and thymine, which is T. So these are arranged in a very orderly fashion. So A pairs with T and G pairs with C. And this is in DNA. Now, when DNA is converted into RNA, it ends up going from a double strand into just a single strand. And here, 
we actually substitute a molecule called uracil in for the thymine. So U now swaps in for T. So now you have this chain of mRNA in sequences of A, C, G, and U in all these different combinations. So this is actually uses the code to make proteins. And the way we do that or the way our bodies do that is by taking groups of three of those these are called the nucleotides, and groups of three encode specific amino acids. So there's this whole template and this whole code where you have certain combinations of three encode amino acids like leucine, and certain codes of three encode amino acids like lysine or tyrosine or things like that. So every protein that exists have different combinations of these RNA sequences and ultimately the amino acid sequences. But basically what ends up happening is that the nature of those amino acids, the combination, that creates the structure and the function of every single protein in our body. And there are, yes, thousands of these. Now, every protein that exists have slightly different amino acid compositions, but over the decades and through analysis of thousands of different proteins, we can determine the rough average composition of proteins, you know, the, the most abundant amino acids and the least abundant amino acids. And we'll, we'll put these tables up in the show notes. So the most abundant amino acids are leucine, alanine, serine, valine, and glycine. And interestingly, tryptophan, which is the one we're talking about today, is the least abundant uh, in our bodies. So amino acids, subunits, building blocks of proteins, they're essential to make every protein in our body. We can consume them. Some of them we can synthesize from these building blocks within our body. So basically, every time we eat something, we break down the DNA in those substances. So any plant, animal thing we eat has DNA in its cells, just like humans do. So we digest those into the building blocks. We use them for biosynthesis, so making new things. Same with protein, same with fats, and so on. But amino acids also play other important roles in our body in addition to being the building blocks of proteins. So for example, they help with signaling in our body, so providing communication from cell to cell or telling our cells what they need to be doing. So one example is glutamate. So glutamate is an amino acid that is used for the production of a molecule called glutathione. And glutathione is a very important antioxidant. And what it does is it scavenges peroxides, so things like hydrogen peroxide, which is H2O2, which can be potentially dangerous to our cells and cause DNA damage, and it converts it to water, H2O. Glutamate is also used to be converted into GABA, which is gamma-aminobutyric acid, which is a very important neurotransmitter in our central nervous system. So amino acids, super important, play lots of roles throughout our body. Some can be produced endogenously and some must be consumed. So let's dive into tryptophan now. As I mentioned, tryptophan is one of those nine amino acids that we cannot synthesize ourselves. We must obtain it from consuming foods that have it. Um, and tryptophan is very important in a, in a wide variety of pathways in our body. Tryptophan itself is metabolized into a molecule called kynurenine by an enzyme called indolamine-2,3-dioxygenase. Funny story, I studied that 
enzyme in the context of the immune system function for my PhD dissertation research. But tryptophan is also used to produce serotonin. And I'm sure everybody here has heard of serotonin. Serotonin is a very important neurotransmitter. It is literally involved in probably every physiologic function in our body. So serotonin, also known as 5-hydroxytryptamine or 5-HT, is a neurotransmitter. And a neurotransmitter is a chemical that sends messages between neurons. And it plays a lot of different roles throughout the body. It is synthesized by neurons in the raphe nuclei and by gut neurons and enterochromaffin cells in the gastrointestinal system. And serotonin is involved in regulating mood, involved in memory and cognitive ability. It's involved in metabolic rate. It can play a role in regulating uh, temperature of our body. It also is involved with many gastrointestinal functions like bowel motility, nausea, and of course, it is also involved in sleep. So serotonin is used by our body to make melatonin. And so melatonin is a hormone produced by the pineal gland, which is involved with our circadian rhythm and regulating our sleep-wake cycle. So melatonin is a time cue to our circadian clock, and it promotes sleep anticipation. So logically, okay, tryptophan to serotonin to melatonin. So melatonin involved in sleep. So could it be that tryptophan in food could lead to sleep? And that's kind of where this myth has started. So yes, turkey contains tryptophan. Okay, (laughs) but lots of other foods contain tryptophan, including pretty much every animal protein. Animal proteins, milk and dairy, eggs, oats, bread, fish, nuts, seeds, fruits, and chocolate. So, you know, are we get we're not getting sleepy after consuming those foods. And if you actually look at the amino acid composition of turkey compared to other animal products like chicken, beef, pork, milk, and eggs, the proportion of tryptophan is not any higher in turkey than it is in any of those other products. And in fact, Milk and eggs have a higher proportion of tryptophan compared to turkey meat itself. Okay, so Andrea, that, that leads to the next question. And, and we, so just uh, as a reminder to folks, our Substack subscribers get access to a private Facebook group, which we call The Herd. And we ask The Herd to submit questions on topics. And so this week's Herd from The Herd, not surprising, Francisco submitted a question, the classic question, what is the contribution of tryptophan? fan to post Thanksgiving sleepiness. So Andrea, as you just said, turkey does not contain more tryptophan than things that we regularly consume, like other meats and eggs and all these other things. So what is going on? Well, the drowsiness that we experience is more likely due to the ton of food that we consume. We are spooning huge portions of mashed potatoes and stuffing and turkey. And these are really heavy foods. So we're filling our bellies. We're getting full off of the food that we're consuming. And that's much more likely to lead to that exhaustion. It doesn't hurt, or I should say it doesn't help that many of us are spending the holiday with family, extended family, in-laws. I, for one, will be spending this Thanksgiving with my in-laws. A lot of wine is going to be consumed (laughs) to help offset some of the conversation. And so... 
alcohol consumption we know is a depressant and so that's also contributing to our sleepiness mm-hmm. okay so Andrea what about you know does eating these foods with tryptophan does it increase the serotonin in our brain it's a great question so In general, as I mentioned, we need tryptophan to help synthesize serotonin, and we're constantly getting doses of that as we eat foods. But eating foods with tryptophan or, you know, with higher proportions of tryptophan doesn't actually increase the serotonin levels in our brain. And the reason for that is because amino acids Every protein we eat has a lot of different amino acids. As I mentioned, tryptophan is actually the least abundant. So tryptophan usually only accounts for about 1% of the total composition of amino acids in a given protein source. And so typically when you eat a protein, you're breaking all of that protein down into the different amino acids, and those are going to be shuttled from our gastrointestinal system into our bloodstream, which will eventually get to our brain. But in order to get into our brain into those cells, we need to use transporters. So transport proteins are typically like shuttles or channels or things like that, that we transport larger molecules across. They can't simply just diffuse across the cell membranes. And so Amino acid transporters are actually kind of bundled, so they transport groups of amino acids, and so these are kind of all competing for each other. So it's thinking about, like, trying to get on a school bus, and you have a big line behind you. So proportionally, you're going to get a few of every type and maybe more of the more abundant types. So Tryptophan is competing with all of the other amino acids to get onto these amino acid transporters. And so they're using these shuttles, and they're all going to get there, but they're all going to get there in similar proportions. So you don't actually see an increase in serotonin. Now, purified tryptophan, if you were only consuming tryptophan at a high dosage, you could theoretically increase brain serotonin. But foods containing tryptophan don't because, again, you're going to transport all these amino acids in the relative similar proportions that they exist in in those proteins. And in reality, the body of data suggests that you'd need a dose of tryptophan of of a gram, one gram or or more. And that's in the context of amino acids, that's that's a huge amount. And that dosage may lead to some perceived sleepiness and, and decrease in the time to sleep or sleep latency. So, you know, if food only contained tryptophan, that would be possible, but that would never happen, right? Because you wouldn't ever have a protein that is 100% tryptophan. So as just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of other reasons why we might get sleepy after Thanksgiving. And so the biggest thing is this rest and digest response, right? So this is basically when we consume food, instead of our sympathetic nervous system kicking in, which is what we call our flight or fight response, which increases blood flow to the skeletal muscles and prepares you to run away, and it increases your heart rate, and it dilates your blood vessels, the opposite happens. Our parasympathetic nervous system response kicks in. So we We colloquially call this the rest and digest. And what happens when we eat, we increase blood flow to the gastrointestinal tract. So those are smooth muscles as opposed to skeletal muscles. It promotes insulin secretion to help digest carbohydrates that we consumed. It decreases blood flow to the skeletal muscles, so it makes your body feel generally relaxed. It also decreases your heart rate because you're resting, you're not going to flee. And it also decreases your respiratory rate. So you're chilling, you're digesting, you're diverting blood flow from your skeletal muscles to your gastrointestinal tract. 
that would make anyone feel relaxed and a little bit sleepy. And also, on top of that, you ate carbohydrates, right? Carbohydrates, not just in the form of sugar itself, but starches in your stuffing and your potatoes and things like that. So carbohydrates promote the secretion of insulin, which also leads to the uptake of amino acids into cells except tryptophan. So once you eat carbohydrates, you've taken other amino acids into cells. Tryptophan doesn't have to compete with them as much to get to the brain. Possibly this could lead to some increased sleepiness. Another thing is the physical stretching of the gastrointestinal tract and the small intestine can activate some motor neurons, some sensory neurons that can also contribute to the feeling of sleepiness. And obviously, the other thing that just mentioned is alcohol consumption can also exacerbate those feelings of sleepiness. So there's a lot of things that are playing a part here. You've eaten a ton of calories. You know, you've got this rest and digest. The official term for this sleepiness is called postprandial somnolence, which basically means after eating sleepiness. It's a real phenomenon, but it has nothing to do with the turkey or with the tryptophan in the turkey. So there you go. If you want to impress your family members this Thanksgiving, <laughs> let them know that they are dealing with postprandial somnolence. I love that. <laughs> All right. So let's talk supplements. I didn't even realize that people take tryptophan supplements. <laughs> I honestly didn't. You should know by now that there is a supplement for everything. You're I right. mean, every, every episode we do, it ultimately comes back to some supplement that people are promoting to cure some ailment that, that you know, supplements are not going to do anything for. Oh, I gave away the punchline, but. Uh-oh. Okay. So some people take L-tryptophan. What is the L? So the L is the conformation of the molecule, and I'm not going to get into this, but there's but there are structural differences. We call them enantiomers or stereoisomers. So there's an L conformation and an R conformation. So it, it's just the functional um, structure of tryptophan. Okay. I'm sorry I asked. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some people take L-tryptophan supplements to try to help them sleep. And we're going to talk about this in, in just a sec. But I guess others take the supplements to help with anxiety and depression because there's this, you know, link to serotonin levels. And so the thinking is that if you take the tryptophan, it's going to help with the serotonin levels and, and may help to improve your mood or ward off mental health disorders such as depression. And that was a quote that I found online for uh, someone who is selling the tryptophan supplements. However, empirical evidence for improving mood through dietary manipulation of tryptophan is lacking, and it is difficult to change plasma tryptophan levels through diet alone. There is no evidence that tryptophan supplements help with depression. However, unfortunately, there are all these media articles. I did a quick search. I saw something on Goop that recommends um, taking these tryptophan supplements to raise brain serotonin levels, but again, these recommendations are not supported by science. So we got another question from the herd. We heard from the herd. This question came from Marusa. What is the optimal dose of tryptophan supplement for sleep? And is it safe to take together with melatonin and also while being on other medications? So let's talk about this. There is some evidence that taking tryptophan supplements, I guess if, if you're not getting it adequately through your diet, this is the part that's sort of unclear to me, but that taking a supplement can help you feel sleepy and will decrease the time taken to fall asleep. So 
that's a super high dose, though. You Correct. know, we're talking about like one gram or one thousand milligrams. But you I, ruined my punchline. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, but I think it's important to remember that you know the the feeling sleepy is subjective, right? So so there certainly could be a placebo effect going on there. Yes, absolutely. But as Andrea said, I looked up this article from the Journal of Psychiatry and Neuroscience. This is an article from 2003. Is tryptophan a natural hypnotic? And the article found that tryptophan at a dose, as Andrea just said, of one gram taken 45 minutes before bedtime may decrease the time taken to fall asleep in those with mild insomnia. But, uh, you know, the dose can vary based on the person. And as Andrea said, it, you know, could be placebo effect. So, yeah. So the one gram, that's a high it's dose. A huge. It's a very high dose. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. Um, to answer your other question about melatonin and tryptophan. So I couldn't find a ton about taking the medications together and whether that's, you know, like recommended for people with insomnia. But according to drugs.com, there are no interactions found between melatonin and tryptophan. That being said, we're not recommending that you run out and take both if you're experiencing insomnia. I would recommend speaking with your physician, you know, because as we discussed, tryptophan does feed into the melatonin pathway. So there is a theoretical potential cumulative effect that could occur. So can it be harmful? Many of the side effects from tryptophan supplements are relatively minor, although I guess that's subjective. These include nausea, loss of appetite, dizziness, headache, dry mouth, and drowsiness. Other people experience some GI upset, including diarrhea, vomiting, stomach pain, indigestion, and gas. Now, there are a lot of drug interactions. So as Andrea said, you really should check with your doctor before you take these supplements to make sure that tryptophan won't increase side effects or cause any adverse reactions. Um, I guess tryptophan can lead to some sexual side effects, fast heartbeat, difficulty walking, confusion, hallucinations, muscle spasms, diarrhea, sweating and fever. And tryptophan may interact negatively with certain antidepressants, MAOIs, St. John's wort, Demerol, how do you say this, phenothiol, Wait, phenothiazines? Did I say that yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, tryptans and tramadol are examples of medications that should not be combined with tryptophan. Now, interestingly, in my search, tryptophan has been linked to a dangerous and even deadly condition. There's no way I'm pronouncing this correctly, but eosinophilia myalgia syndrome. I'm going to just refer to it by its acronym, which is EMS. And actually, in 1989, the FDA recalled tryptophan supplements after up to 10,000 people who took them became sick. So EMS causes sudden and severe muscle pain, nerve damage, skin changes, and other debilitating symptoms. The risk is higher if you have existing liver or kidney disease. EMS can be fatal, and it's characterized by high levels of white blood cells called, oh God, Andrea, am I saying this wrong? 
eosinophils. I'm definitely eosinophils. Okay, I was close. And chronic <laughs> muscle pain. So just very briefly, I'm going to read this quote from a 1990 newspaper article that talked about this recall. So the drug has been linked to over a thousand cases of blood and muscular disorder. Okay, let's see. It has been fatal in at least 19 cases so far. It can cripple. It can cause great pain. It can kill. It has had long-term effects on some unfortunate individuals, and some patients are not responding to treatment. I urge everyone to stop taking these supplements immediately. There was one theory that the symptoms might be caused by the chemical itself, although, as Andrea has said, it's an amino acid found in low doses in nearly all food that contains protein. So researchers hypothesized that in large amounts in the supplement form, it might somehow overwhelm the body and trigger muscular changes, particularly among a small segment of the population that has been shown to metabolize the amino acid abnormally. So I I feel like, you know, Jess, I mean, certainly this is very, very important information, but I feel like this TLDR is the same as with all supplements, right? Yes, these molecules are required for physiological processes, whether it be immune system function, whether it be neurotransmitter function, whether it be synthesis of other molecules or, you know, functioning as a building block of protein. But there is such thing as too much of a good thing. And I think that this is another example of this. And it's very frustrating that so many people kind of buy into this, you know, well, I'm just going to keep supplementing because since it's a thing that occurs in our body naturally, we we can't take too much of it. And that's not actually the case. Thank you for that beautiful TLDR. So just to, again, summarize Thanksgiving, yes, you're probably going to feel sleepy afterwards. Andrea, what was the technical term? Postprandial somnolence. There it is. <laughs> but it's likely not just not due to the turkey we're eating because we're getting tryptophan from so many other foods that we eat, like meat and eggs and all these other things. It's likely due to the fact that we're stuffing our faces full of food and drink. And so that is what's causing the sleepiness. All right, Andrea, do you want to take us home? Yes. And if you want to avoid feeling sleepy on Turkey Day, you know, eat smaller meals throughout the day before you sit down. Don't starve yourself and then gorge yourself. I I don't think anybody's actually going to listen to this, but try and have smaller portions. And if you want to have a little bit of everything, have a little bit of everything. Um, One thing that can help is taking a little walk afterwards. That can sometimes help stimulate some of the blood flow to your skeletal muscles and kind of slow down that crash that you might feel after eating a big meal. And if you want more Unbiased Science, please check out our Substack subscription. We do post content, um, extending content there periodically, and we do regularly respond to questions and comments from our subscribers. The biggest perk, of course, is access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&As where you get a direct line to myself and Jess. Check it out at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. The paid subscription, which I believe is $5 a month, will get you access to that private Facebook group. We're going to take a break for a week during the Thanksgiving holiday. So next episode, just after Turkey Day, we are going to tackle another topic we get asked about a lot. 
gluten. And we're going to have a special guest on to help us tackle that. We will, of course, continue to provide updates on COVID, on influenza, on RSV, and all sorts of other science-related topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no-nonsense, just science. I am a scientist. Yeah, uh, I am a scientist.